Galatians chapter 4. Please turn your Bibles there. Galatians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 4 and 5, a message I've entitled The Perfect Gift. The Perfect Gift. This could apply to Christmas time. In fact, the joke that accompanies this does apply to Christmas time. But Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so as we look at the perfect gift, there's two guys, and they're talking about Christmas presents. And the one says, I told my wife I wanted a Sony PlayStation for Christmas, nothing else. The other guy says, well, did she get it for you? He said, nah, she got me socks and a tie. The other guy says, well, didn't that upset you? He said, no, I thought something like that might happen, so I bought her a Sony PlayStation. <laughs> Let's look at the perfect gift. First of all, notice Paul says here it was the perfect time, the perfect time when Jesus was born. Uh, the word fullness here says when the fullness of time, uh, the word fullness means complete or right. In other words, this was just the right time when Jesus was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, whatever it is exactly doesn't matter, but the Bible says it was the perfect time for that to happen. The time was perfect because God chose it. So you know, God chose it. It had to be perfect. But why did he wait so long? I mean, from the time of Moses, or even going back further than Moses, back to the Garden of Eden, that had been some 1,500, maybe 2,000 or more years, who knows exactly. Why did he wait so long? You could also ask the other side of the question, why didn't he wait longer? But for whatever reason, God chose the time that he did, and the Bible says it was the perfect time. Now, we certainly know from history it was the, a very important time to come for the spread of the gospel. There was one government in the world at the time. Rome was that government. And they were experiencing what is known as the uh, Pax Romana. This was an empire-wide peace. That doesn't mean there weren't skirmishes here and there, but overall the Roman Empire was at peace. And so that would be a good reason because there weren't all these wars and rumors of wars you could spread the gospel. Also, Roman citizens had freedom to travel. And you probably know this about Rome. They built roads and good roads for the time. And so if you're free to travel, you've got good roads, and basically the empire is at peace, this is a great time to spread the gospel. Not only that, there was one language. The entire known world spoke Greek. That's why we often talk about, when we're talking about the New Testament, we say, well, the Greek word means this. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. However, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which they also had in the time of Jesus. In fact, sometimes if you compare, we've talked about this before, but if you compare a, a quote in the New Testament where the, a writer is quoting something from the Old Testament, it doesn't seem exact. And that's because it's coming through the Greek translation, the Septuagint. I don't want to get too much in the weeds there. The point is, everybody spoke the same language. Again, that makes it easy to spread the gospel. And then there was the expectations of the people, especially the Jews. People felt like at the time something was getting ready to happen. The Jews, of course, were expecting the Messiah. And that's why so many boys were named Joshua at the time. That was Jesus' name, by the way, Joshua, not Jesus. Jesus is the Greek. The Hebrew is Joshua. And everybody's naming their kids, their boy kids, Joshua, thinking this could be 
the Messiah because Joshua means God saves. And so for all these reasons and more, historically speaking, this was the perfect time. Again, you might say, well, why did he wait longer? I mean, in our day and time when there's TV and there's radio and there's the Internet and all that, seems like if he'd waited a little bit longer, he could have got the message out even easier. However, we know 2,000 years ago was the perfect time because that's what the Bible says. And by the way, when we talk about Christmas, you know, December 25th is probably not the original date of Christmas. I know that's when we celebrate it, but that's probably not the original date. In fact, other Christian traditions use other dates. It is the doctrine, not the date, that's important. The doctrine, not the date. We celebrate Christ's birth at Christmas. We celebrate the incarnation where God became human. That's the doctrine. That's what matters. You can celebrate Christmas tomorrow. I don't care. Well, don't do it on Thursday. That's St. Patrick's Day. But you can do it any other day. I don't care. The doctrine is what matters. So we see it was the perfect time. But secondly, we see it was the perfect way. Incarnation. The perfect way. Notice what it says here in verse 4. God sent his son made of a woman made under the law. He was made of a woman. Now every person is made of a woman other than Adam, of course, and Eve. But accepting them, every other person is made of woman. But this person was unique. For he was human yet fully God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. That was a prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14, that this virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And then when you read in the New Testament, John 1, 1, and also verse 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus was one of a kind, never to be duplicated, never to be imitated. He came in the perfect way, incarnation, made of a woman. As we all know, he was virgin born. All other miraculous conceptions and birth in the Bible have come about through natural means. This one was supernatural. Jesus had no earthly father. You think about when Isaac was born. That was a miracle. Abram and, and Sarah were very old. And uh, I love it. It says, well, this is Zechariah. I was getting them confused. But anyway, uh, the fact of the matter, they were up in years. They were beyond childbearing age. And then there is a miraculous conception, but Abraham and Sarah were married and they had relations. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. You've got Zechariah and Elizabeth again. They're up in years. Uh, that's the one I was thinking where it says the scriptures say she was well stricken in years. That's the way it's, it's worded there. And, of course, there's a miraculous conception of John the Baptist. But, again, you have a husband and a wife. But here with Jesus, this is totally unique. It was a miraculous conception, a miraculous birth, and it was completely and totally supernatural. No earthly father was involved in any way. And because of that, there was no sin nature passed on. Just like Adam before the fall. Adam was not just innocent, he was perfect. Uh, he had a totally free will. He could do whatever he wanted to do. And Jesus was born with no sin nature, just like Adam had been. And that is why in the New Testament, Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 45. He is the last Adam. You have the first Adam who blew it, and then you get the last Adam, Christ, and he did everything right. 
first Adam brought death by his free will. The last Adam brought life. But who is this woman here? We read in verse 4, he was made of a woman. Mary was the virgin woman. Now we know she was favored of God. When the angel Gabriel meets her, we read about that in Luke chapter 1. In particularly verse 28, the angel says, Hail Mary, thou art highly favored of God. She was favored of God. God was gracious to her. God chose her of all the women of all time to be his mom. But she certainly was not sinless. She was a sinner just as you and I are. She's not perfect. She was just blessed. She was, God chose to be gracious to her in that he chose her to bear his son, but To think that she was perfect? The scriptures don't teach that. None is perfect. Only Christ himself. In fact, she would say later on when Mary, you know, kind of takes the news and begins to digest the news that she's going to bear the Christ child. She said, I rejoice in God my Savior. (laughs) In what is known as the Magnificent. I rejoice in God my Savior. Well, who needs a Savior? Sinners. And out of Mary's own mouth, she says she needs a Savior. Why is this incarnation the perfect way? Well, because only a man could pay for man's sin. Only God would be worthy. And so in Christ, we see God and man together. So as a man, he could pay for man's sins. But as God, he's worthy. I think we fail to comprehend the degree to which Jesus condescended to come and live on this earth among us. You know this, he existed before his birth, even from eternity past. He doesn't just show up at Christmas time. He's the eternal son of God. He dwelt in the beauty and perfection of heaven. And yet he became poor for us that we might be rich. Not only did he become human for us, but he became sin for us. I love that passage in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's why the gospel is so important. And that's why every time you hear me preach, I somehow squeeze in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he was buried for our sins, and he rose again the third day. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And that is the message that you must receive personally to be saved. Not just some some nebulous, well, I believe in God. But that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you believe he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. So we see it was the perfect time. We see it was the perfect way incarnation. We see it was for the perfect reason. Jesus, it says, was made under the law. Do you see that in verse 4? He was made under the law. Subjection. Jesus was born under the law in order to keep the law and in order to fulfill the law. And Jesus kept the law perfectly in order to be qualified to redeem us from the law. All those rules and regulations in the Old Testament, he never violated not even one, not even part of one. He kept that Old Testament, all those laws, perfectly. And that qualified him to redeem us from the law. Our sin, as defined by the law, needed to be paid for according to the law. 
And Jesus kept the law on our behalf. Jesus paid the price due under the law for sin, death. And as a result, we can be redeemed. That, purchase, that word redeemed means to be purchased, to be bought back. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He bought us back. Our sin debt can be paid in full because of the perfect and personal sacrifice of Jesus. That's redemption. Now, thinking back to the Christmas story, you know, shepherds made their living from the requirements of the law. The whole reason they were out there raising those sheep was so that they could be offered as sacrifices in the temple. This is how they made their living. Well, we all know that angels announced the birth of the Savior to shepherds. But the angels also announced the shepherds' future unemployment. You guys, what you're doing here? Shepherds. You guys, what you're doing here? You're not going to need to do this anymore. You know, you were talking about new jobs. How would you like for angels to announce to you, hey, you need to find a new job because what you're doing is no longer relevant or it won't be in the very near future because Jesus would be the once for all sacrifice. You wouldn't need those lambs anymore. And I know we've been talking about there's a future temple coming in Ezekiel and there's going to be sacrifices. But as far as those shepherds were concerned right there, that angelic announcement was an announcement of their future unemployment. But Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 puts it this way. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. No more lambs, no more rams, no more oxen, none of that. It's all obsolete once Christ died. So we see the perfect time. We see the perfect way, incarnation. We see the perfect reason, subjection under the law. Let's look fourthly at the perfect result. What was the result of this perfect gift? Adoption. Notice what it says in verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus is the one who made our adoption as children of God possible. Now we become the children of God by grace through faith. But do you ever think of God as an adoptive parent? The Bible says that's exactly what he is. He is an adoptive parent. And what is adoption? Adoption brings someone outside of your family into your family. I can speak with a little bit of understanding here because Debbie and I, we are adoptive parents. Karis that you see most Sundays, she wasn't here today, but most Sundays you see her here, uh, she is a biological child, but we have two older children, both of whom are adopted. And so we know what it's like to take somebody who's not part of your family and bring them into your family. That's adoption. And we've done it. No unbeliever is part of God's family. We are adopted by God's sovereign grace and choice. But until salvation, we are children of the devil. 1 John 3.10 says that we are children of the devil. Let's look at that, 1 John. Chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Little children, let... I don't think I'm in the right place. Hold on. 1 John 3.10, 1 John 3.10. Oh, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. 
And so John is making the point there that until you're a child of God, you're a child of the devil. Now that doesn't mean you're a Satan worshiper. But until God brings you into his family, you don't belong to God. You belong to the other guy. But once adopted, we can call God Abba, Father, Daddy. I remember when my children were little, I used to love to hear them call me Daddy. My older daughter still does. My son, well, he doesn't call me anything. <laughs> he doesn't even call me on the phone, nothing. Uh, but anyway, that's just because he's lazy. Kara still calls me Daddy. Now, she's 19. She still calls me Daddy. She writes me little love notes and puts some sticket notes on my, uh, on my desk in the office there. And say, I love you, Daddy. I love that. I do. And just think of this, the almighty God of the universe, the creator of all, he says, you can call me Daddy. I'm not just adopting you and you become some sort of second-class citizen. You call me Daddy, Abba, Father. God's adopted children are not some second-class citizens. I don't look at either of our two adopted children any different than we do our biological child. I don't say, well, they're not ours, but she is, and you know, they're my children. That's who they are, or our children. And so I see no difference whatsoever. Now it is easy, you know, when those older two, when they would mess up, be like, well... You know, they didn't get that from me. <laughs> you know, it's nice to kind of convince yourself of that, but that's not the way we really looked at it. There are children. Every child is a gift from God. And those children were no different. And so they, they were never second-class citizens. They're in our will, all of that stuff. Once adopted, we are full participating members in God's family. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We are joint heirs with our brother, Jesus Christ. I think we also fail to comprehend the privilege we have as children of God. And so we see it was the perfect time. We see it was the perfect way. We see the perfect reason. We see the perfect result. And lastly, let's look at the perfect son. God the Father gave us his most perfect gift. Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted in every way like we are yet without sin. He never failed to be obedient to his father. In Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the scriptures put it this way. And even though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He was not only God's perfect son, he was Joseph's perfect son. Think about this, to have a child who never disobeyed you, who was never ungrateful, who never talked back to you. But that's the kind of son Joseph had in Christ. Jesus never, because he was perfect, he never disobeyed. He never was ungrateful. He never talked back. You know, Jesus and Joseph were carpenters. Well, Jesus' carpentry measurements were always exact. You probably know the old... Adage, measure twice, cut once. Let Jesus measure and cut. He'll get it right every time. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. So God has given the perfect gift. 
And look how useful and look how helpful this gift is. God gave it the perfect way. Incarnation, God in the flesh. He gave it for the perfect reason. Subjection made under the law for redemption from the law. It gave us the perfect result, adoption into God's family. God's gift is truly the gift that keeps on giving. Think about this. What have you done with his gift? He gave you the perfect gift. He gave me the perfect gift. What have you done with it? Have you received it? Are you sharing it with others? And also think about this. What have you given him? You know, it seems unfair to me that Christmas is Jesus' birthday and we end up getting all the presents. Doesn't that seem backwards? It's his birthday. We don't give him anything. We give stuff to each other. And we somehow say, well, you know, the wise men and they had gifts and all, whatever. That's probably the last time Jesus ever got a Christmas present. It was from the wise men. Well, not only at Christmas, but every day of the year. Give Jesus what he wants. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. He wants your heart. And he wants you to share your faith in him with others. He's the perfect gift. He's the gift that keeps on giving. He's the gift that no matter how much you give away, you still are full of that gift. It never diminishes. Why would you not give it away? And so we see that Jesus is the perfect gift. The Bible says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no more a servant but a son. And since you are a son, you are an heir of God through Christ. Wow. What a great gift. What a great God we have. May we always worship him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being such a gracious God. For not just giving us gifts, but when it comes to Christ, giving us the perfect gift. Help us to receive him if we haven't. But I know we all need to give him away more. Give us opportunities and give us the courage to do so. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Good night and Merry Christmas.